Live from the rooftop of the Herman London Real Estate Group in beautiful downtown Maplewood, it's the St. Louis Realtor Podcast with your host, Adam Cruz. Welcome, welcome everybody to the Herman London Real Estate Group Podcast number 26. This is the St. Louis Realtor Podcast live from the rooftop in beautiful downtown Maplewood, Missouri. Today is June 28th, 2016, and we are excited because we have some very special guests You'll see uh, that today's topic is all about commercial real estate leases. So we brought in our commercial specialist from our office here, Matthew Simon. Some of you have heard him and met him before, heard the legend at least. (laughs) And then also we brought in our company attorney, Doug Hickel. Doug, why don't you do your attorney disclosure? And then I'll kind of go into introducing you and all this kind of stuff. Sounds good, Adam. Thank you for having me. I got to be a lawyer for a minute before I get started. And let everybody know that I am not your lawyer, at least not right now, and that anything I say is just general legal thoughts and ideas and shouldn't be used as legal advice in your specific issue. So if you have a specific issue, call a lawyer. And can I say call you? You can call me. As long as you know, you're know you not too busy with my legal stuff, right? Correct. Correct. Okay. Or if you're mad at Adam, don't call me. <laughs> okay, exactly. That's right. So what I want to do first is I just want to give kind of a quick intro, basically, to how I sort of met you and heard about you. Um, You work at the at the Summers Compton. Is it Summer Compton's Wells? You guys still kept the Wells on there? Yes, we still keep it on there. Did you get rid of the hamburger? Is that right? We did get rid of the hamburger. Okay, now Summers Compton Wells. So you're a partner there, and a family friend of mine is a partner there. And uh, I remember as I was getting into real estate, his name is Dick. Right? He would always be talking about. The deals they do and all this kind of stuff and the leases that they do and uh, there's this movie have you seen it called intolerable cruelty it's with george clooney and um Catherine zeta jones i've seen it it's all about m- divorces and prenups right and they talk all about the massy prenup and it's unbreakable and it's all this yeah. stuff and so i always kind of compared the summer's compton commercial lease to be this like strong lease right this like massy prenup style lease and when we got our office here, my landlord sent me over the lease for me to sign. And I'm like, absolutely, no problem. I'm going to send it to my guys at Summers Compton. And this is this is going to be great. They're going to represent me. Everything's going to be fine. So I sent it over to Doug, and he calls me back about 10 minutes later. And he's like, well, the bad news is we made this lease. So you guys made the lease. But ended up, he referred me to another attorney who now actually works with you guys, right? But Yeah. So it's uh, you can't represent both sides uh, on a lease agreement. Unfortunately, no. We call that a we have that as a conflict, conflict of interest. Yeah. Um, you know, we uh, always want to be able to advocate for our client as best as possible, and uh, riding both sides is tough for lawyers. Okay, so just a little bit of getting to know you. Uh, I already said this a couple times, but a your name is Doug Hickel, correct? Or Douglas. I go by Doug, but I am Douglas. Okay, and so and you work at Summers Compton Wells. I do. Do. Uh, how did you decide to be an attorney? I come from a family of lawyers. My father's a lawyer. My older brother's a lawyer. So it was a natural thing for me to go to law school. Oh, wow. Okay. Are they in St. Louis too? They both practice law here in St. Louis. My brother is uh, in, an in-house attorney uh, at a local company. Okay. And my father is a solo practitioner, does a lot of estate planning work. 
Okay, so when you decided to be an attorney, you had to decide: do I want to be an in-house attorney, or what do you call? What do you? What are you? Well, called? typically, there's you know three big categories. There's an in-house attorney, which works for one company mm-hmm. only and is on their payroll, and then there's a second large category, which has two subcategories: is working at a law firm. And there you're either what I call a transactional lawyer, which is you help people buy and sell things, you help people lease things, you help people borrow money, all that type of stuff. And then the other side is you're a litigator. You know, then okay. you go to court and you fight with people. So, you know, those are kind of the three big categories. So do you litigate? I do not litigate, but I have partners who litigate. So they would litigate and fight to say that the stuff that you wrote or the agreements that you made are strong or right or well, typically whatever. people don't want to litigate after i write something because they know they're going to lose <laughs> right <laughs> but if that situation ever does come up they will litigate uh whether it's something i drafted or just another issue that the client uh, has you as an attorney are you kind of at your desk in your office most uh, of the i time, sit or? at my desk most of the day i spend a lot of time on the phone with clients uh talking to them uh just because i have found that talking on the phone is better than emailing because I can really get a better understanding of what issues they're facing and then be able to talk through it with them. And, uh, you know, another term for a lawyer is a counselor at law. And, you know, as a transactional lawyer, you really do spend a lot of time counseling with your clients, helping them figure out the best solution to the questions or the issues that they're, they're facing. And do you specifically do real estate or do you do other types of I do a lot of, primarily I do a lot of real estate, whether that's buying or selling property, whether that's developing, helping people develop property, leasing property, financing property. Uh, Then I also have a uh, part of my practice is mergers and acquisitions, which is uh, a fancy way of saying I help people buy and sell businesses. Okay. Uh, And again, same types of uh, matters there, helping them buy and sell it, helping them finance it helping them through all of the uh, the issues that go along with owning your own business that you know so well, Adam. Who is your target client? Who do you hope would be listening to today and say, I, need, I want to call this guy and hire him? Um, you know, the, the, my favorite type of clients are small and medium-sized business owners who need someone to come alongside of them and be a part of their core team who helps advise them and helps them run their company successfully. Um, and be able to help them through the legal issues they have and some of the business issues because oftentimes issues are not all legal or all business. There's kind of a mix uh, of in-between and being able to be available to them uh, whenever they need it, uh, whether it's via phone or email or, or however, uh, to answer their questions and help them with what they need. So a small, medium-sized business owner, similar to Herman London, uh, other real estate companies, well, they're not as good as Herman London. Uh, you know, I would talk to them. It's on record. I uh, like this. <laughs> people who uh, people who own real estate who need help leasing it or want to buy some real estate uh, or just have general legal questions about their business. Today, we're going to focus on talking about commercial leases. I know you've done a lot of them, and you know you wrote our lease, and mm-hmm. then you've helped us with other leases that we've done as deals. Basically, the kind of, you know, we brought Matt Simon in. He does a lot of leases. And commercial stuff, I'm going to kind of play the role of, because basically we have a lot of different type of listeners, beginners, I've got Aunt Mary listening, we've got <laughs> random other real estate people across the country and whatever, so I'm going to probably ask more simple type of questions, Matt might have more complicated type of questions. Yeah, come but... with some follow-ups that may have uh, affected me personally. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. Try to get some free legal advice. Absolutely. I Anytime see how it is. I get a That's chance, why I'm you know? here. <laughs> 
Those 15-minute uh, billable uh, hours, you know. Yeah, so, okay. So if we're going to talk about commercial leases, let me start with something simple. Kind of, there's different types of leases, obviously. There's leases more where the landlord has the burden, and there's leases more where the tenant has the burden. Can you talk a little just briefly about the different types of leases? So, you know, a, a, just to start with, a lease is a situation where uh, someone o- else owns a piece of real estate and you want to use it. So you sign a lease with them that gives you permission to use their property. And sometimes that permission can be very limited. You're leasing uh, a small uh, kiosk for a short, very short period of time, like around the holidays. Or it could be an extremely long-term lease where you are leasing uh, a piece of land and you're going to lease it for 99 years and you're going to have sole possession of it and do whatever you want with it, whether it's build a building on it or just sit there in your beach chair for 99 years. You can do what you want. So those leases then run the spectrum of who has the right to do what, who gets to control what decisions, and who has the obligation to pay certain things. A, A very common thing is who pays for the maintenance of a building? Who pays mm-hmm. to replace the roof? Who pays to fix the the air conditioner? Who pays uh, to the taxes? The, the real estate taxes, and those are all. There's no hard and fast rule about it. All of it is negotiable. Uh, people oftentimes refer to what is called a triple net lease. Or then they try to call it a modified triple net, which may be a double net or a single net lease. And what the net means is that it's uh, money to the landlord, net of taxes, insurance, and maintenance, which means the tenant pays to the landlord a sum of money, and the tenant pays all of the taxes, all of the insurance, and all of the maintenance in the building. Uh, So that would be a very, what I would call a very landlord-friendly transaction, because the landlord gets a check in the mail and doesn't have to do anything. They don't have to worry about if the insurance is going up or the taxes is going up or anything like that. No, the the tenant accepts that entire responsibility. And what kind of situations are you seeing that? Would that just be if it's a more popular property or is it on more certain types of leases? It's usually on certain types of leases where a tenant is leasing the entire land and all of the buildings on it. So it would be as if you had a, a warehouse and somebody was going to lease the entire warehouse and all of the parking lot and all of the, the grass and everything that was there, it, that's a common situation that's triple net where there's one tenant who's in control of everything. Okay. I see Simon perked up over there because I know you, you're working on warehouse leases and stuff like that right now, right? So Yeah, and I, absolutely. The triple net is the most desirable lease out there for the property owner, not for, so much for the tenant. Okay. And the reason for that is that the tenant, as you mentioned, Adam, absorbs the risk. They have the risk of, are the real estate taxes going to go up? Are the, is the insurance rate going to go up? Is the roof going to need to be replaced? Is that more like bigger business type of stuff? I mean, if somebody renting a little storefront doesn't want to have all that burden, right? No, you wouldn't. And that's where um, a a storefront differs from a warehouse because a storefront is usually a part of a shopping center. Mm -hmm. So then you have an issue of space is going to be shared amongst tenants so and their visitors and their customers so you have a parking lot uh for a shopping center with five stores and that that parking lot is shared by all five of those those tenants and all of their customers so it's difficult to point to one tenant and say you are responsible for the entire parking lot 
the tenant would say that's not fair i'm paying for the parking lot and other tenants are using it for free right that makes sense yeah and so basically those parking lot uh expenses pretty much primarily get rolled into common area maintenance charges yeah for the tenants common area maintenance charges are you know the, co- the cost for the landlord to maintain the common areas of a piece of property whether it's a parking lot a sidewalk a roof um, a very common one that people think about is snow removal who pays for the snow removal so all of those costs are thrown into one big bucket of costs and then they're shared amongst the tenants usually in the same percentage uh, that the tenant is leasing of the shopping center or the, the storefront. So if a tenant is leasing 20% of the shopping center, they pay 20% of those common area maintenance charges. Who controls them? I guess the landlord gets to, they can just go out and get whatever snow removal bid they want because they're not paying any of it, right? That is exactly right, Adam. And that is a risk that a lot of tenants take on when they don't have to take mm-hmm. it on. Um, there are certain common area maintenance charges that, Many landlords will agree to a, what I refer to as a stopgap on, where there is a maximum amount of increase in those each year. And typically we refer to those in the, the leasing community as controllable expenses, ones where the landlord has the ability to exert some level of control um, over them and how much they increase from year to year. But then there's also a category of uncontrollable expenses, um, and snow removal is one of them. We aren't in control of how much snow comes each winter, so we don't know how often the snow plow has to come out to our uh, shopping center. That all being said, you can sometimes get landlords, not all the time, sometimes to get them to agree to an overall cap, and that avoids the situation of them hiring their, their best friend to come out and do the snow removal and charge an exorbitant rate. Exactly. For I was just thinking that I can hire my fiance to come and clean at $200 an hour. I don't know if that would be enough. <laughs> I mean, uh, I'm going to leave that one alone. <laughs> not in this office. I shouldn't have said fiance. Uh, yeah, not at this office. That's right. Is there any potential clause that you, you know, seek to have inserted in leases, uh, you know, regarding the overall caps? Usually I, I try to focus on um, one of two areas. One area is is what is included in the common area maintenance charge. Most landlords just want to say all expenses related to the running and operation of the property. Well, does that mean you need to pay for their uh, trip to a shopping center conference out in Las Vegas? A landlord, of course, would say yes, but the tenant may say, I'm not a little concerned about that. So oftentimes we try to do a laundry list of types of things that are permitted expenses. The other approach is, um, I really don't care what you spend your money on, but you're going to start with a fixed dollar amount, usually on a per square foot basis, with a maximum increase per year. And as long as you stay within those parameters, I as a tenant don't care what you spend the money on because I have controlled my cost of occupancy in the space. Is that where you start calling it like a modified double net or whatever? Usually when I get to that, I just call it a lease. Okay. Um, because continuing to stay with the triple net term gets pretty difficult, you know, but it would be falling into kind of a modified uh, net lease. Uh, so, but I usually at that point, I'm just calling it a lease. 
Okay, and then I've seen where people, they rent a, or they lease a space, but then the tenant is the one who has to make the updates to it. Is that kind of something that you see a lot? Is that, seems to me like that's riddled with opportunities for the landlord to win too, right? I mean. Yeah, there's a, there's a couple thoughts on that. One is you often pay for what you get. So if you rent a rundown location uh, and you are going to fix it up, the landlord is often going to charge you a lower rent because mm-hmm. you are renting someplace that may not be in the best condition, may need a complete gut rehab. Uh, and so your rent needs to fit with what you're getting. Typically but, reflected as a value lease. Yeah, you yeah. could call it a value lease. Um, but on the other end, if you're renting a, a space that has been fully built out to your exact specifications with the latest and greatest of everything, you're going to pay a lot more on a per square foot basis. So what I often counsel my tenant clients on is you need to look at all of the buckets of the cost to occupy the space on in, in the same terms, typically on a per square foot basis. So what is the cost of the rent uh, on a per square foot basis? What is the cost of your common area maintenance? What is your cost of taxes? What is your cost of insurance? And lastly, what is the cost of your build out on a per square foot basis? Then you can figure out if your total cost of occupancy fits within your budget as a tenant. This is why it's so important to get an attorney involved, right? I mean, there was, I know there was a person who was going to rent a space near in a building nearby us and they agreed to do the build out. I think she's, I, I don't know all the terms, but I think she signed a lease, agreed to do a build out, and then basically found out later that the, the building needed a lot more work than what she knew or what she budgeted for, but she was still basically committed to doing it, even though it was way more than she thought she was going to have to spend and kind of stuck in the lease. So it's, you're going to get yourself in a situation like that. It's important to A, to know it, I suppose, and then B, what would do more due diligence to... Yeah, it's just like buying anything, whether it's a house, a car, um, anything you buy you want or lease, you want to look at its condition and understand what you're getting. Uh, if you're going to buy a used car, you're not just going to buy it based upon its color. You're going to want to look under the hood. You're going to want to take it for a test drive. You know, With leasing a, a commercial space, you're going to want to inspect it. You may want to have uh, your general contractor come out or maybe even some specialty contractors come out and look at it to get a feel for the, the cost of your build-out. With regards to build-out, um, how many tenants um, and landlords are now offering concessions or putting build-out expenses into negotiations of the lease? Are you seeing an increase in that at all? or Is it pretty common, uncommon? It is common. It's very common. But uh, again, you have to think of the build, the what I call tenant improvement allowance, an amount of money that the landlord is giving to the tenant to do its build out or the landlord is doing the build out for you is you as the tenant are paying for that either way. You're either going to pay for your build out out of pocket or if the landlord does the build out or provides you with a tenant improvement allowance, you're going to pay for that through a higher rental rate. Uh, So again, it goes back to really taking a look at the total cost of occupancy for you uh, and judging whether it's better to have the landlord 
do it for you or better to do it for yourself and that really comes to a cost of money question how much is it going to cost me to borrow this money to do the build out or how much more is it going to cost me to get it from the landlord with a higher rent so you mentioned um, you know negotiating the increases over the term of the, the lease whether it be with the um, cap for the cam charges or just a, you know an escalation clause in the lease uh, what mechanisms do you use when when uh, determining you know a, a fair uh, rate to um, you know increase the lease by per year basis i've heard of cpi increases and some other LIBOR. various forms and they use libor yeah they've used libor before what uh, what do you see commonly and usually in it is leases? either uh, usually it, it's it's one of two things uh, but both of the components have or both of the options have the same base the actual cost is the starting amount so if your actual only goes up by ten dollars we're, we're going to go with actual so it's usually the lesser of the actual amount of increase or a percentage and typically i see somewhere uh, between three and five percent on on large-scale commercial leases or it is a uh, a cpi escalating clause the consumer price index which is a similar percentage uh usually Hopefully, right? Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> definitely. Hopefully, for all of our pocketbooks. Yes. I actually prefer a fixed uh, percentage, just because it makes calculations easier, budgeting easier for budgeting the business, easier yeah. for the tenants. Let me take a step back because I, I didn't quite follow what you were talking about there. You're talking about increasing the rent amount or the cam, or what are you talking about increasing? Usually, that's cam. Okay. Uh, so if your common area maintenance uh, is going to go up, you want to tie tell, it to something. Tie it to something. Or provide a cap okay. um, to that. Okay. So I had this question written down that, to ask. I, I feel like it's it's like obvious now, right? I was going to ask why people get inter- attorneys involved in commercial leases, but not as much in residential. And it's obvious now. Like commercial leases are crazy. There's all these variables and all this stuff. But it, you do you do many residential leases, or you know? You know, I do do some residential leases. Uh, it, it's not as common to have an attorney involved mm-hmm. in a residential lease. Uh, but that being said, it, it doesn't hurt to have an attorney involved, mainly so you understand what you are signing. And whether I represent a landlord or tenant, I, I usually am happy to see another attorney on the other side of the deal because then I know their client is going to fully understand what they're signing. Right. Uh, and then everybody's on the same page going forward, and there's not going to be a misunderstanding. So signing a residential lease, while you don't have to have an attorney, it doesn't hurt, just even if you just have questions as to what something means. Yeah, I mean, pretty much every document that we use says on the top left, this document has legal consequences. If you do not understand it, consult your attorney. We just don't see people do that as much on the residential side as, as Matt, you probably do on the commercial side. Yeah, I mean, it's rare that you see a commercial deal go through without attorney's involvement. So one of the things I I noticed that's also a difference between commercial and residential is that commercial brokers can put liens on the properties that they listed or sold to for their commissions. There there are some limited lien rights granted in the Missouri uh, brokerage laws for brokers who do not get paid on commercial transactions getting them on a residential transaction is is much much more difficult and what what what's the difference i mean you know for us we have the same license 
So it's just whether it's a commercial type of property. I mean, how did this happen that it, only commercial brokers can do this? You know, honestly, the best answer I can give to you is go talk to Jefferson City. <laughs> because that is, that is one of those laws that you look at and you just say, why is one That's being like treated a, different than the other? There was some sort of political action committee or some sort of driving force. Some lobbying that. field. There very well could have been. There could also be some other reason. But that, you know, we just... We go with what the law says, and in this case, the law gives a commercial brokers a bit more uh, leeway. So I, I wanted to be kind of cheesy and just ask kind of an interesting question. I'm curious what, and I know you won't give names or anything like that, but what what's sort of like the biggest size lease or dollar amount that you've that you've kind of seen? Um, well, I think the the most complex lease I have seen uh, was for a lease of a shop a retail shop to go into a major theme park. Oh. Um, and the, to transition it into a theme park? No. This was a retailer, a national retailer, operating its store inside a major theme park. So I can say, like, as an example, uh, Dairy Queen going into Six Flags or something like that, right? I mean, that's just a weird example. But... That would be the yeah. type of example I'm talking about. Okay. The lease there was extremely complex, because they, the, the, the amusement park, uh, the theme park, needed to control not only um, what their employees dress and behave like, but also how the employees at the uh, retail operator dressed and behaved like. So if you think of you going to a theme park, everything is very themed the, the same. Right. Yeah, uniform so, code. Uniform you know. code. So it's not just uh, that. So that was a pretty major lease to uh, to work on. Yeah, and I assume there's, you know, significant liability that would became the biggest issues with, you know, something that aside from, you know, matching up to their, you know, standards. Yeah, it was if you don't live up to our standards, you're out. Yeah. That reminds me, one of our friends, Matt, one of our co-friends had a store that he was opening in the mall and he was burdened by the mall the mall made him keep the mall hours even if it didn't make sense for his business and the mall made him give uh, a percentage of his revenue i think to them as part of the lease that's yeah there's a there's a, a component called what's what people refer to as percentage rent uh so what the percentage rent is is that a landlord will receive a percentage of your sales as rent that's typically gross too not net Correct. So oftentimes what it is is that uh, a, a landlord will, will maybe give you a little bit lower than market rent, but ask for percentage rent and kind of become a, uh, a partner of sorts in your business. And if you succeed, they succeed. Um, and usually what it is is that they will receive a percentage of your sales after what is referred to as a break point. So until you make a million dollars in sales, the landlord doesn't get a nickel. Uh, but then after you get a million dollars of sales, then you will share 3% or 5% of your sales with the landlord. Which in the case of a mall, that sounds like that's kind of like replacing CAM, or would they still have CAM? That would be in addition to CAM. Oh, okay. All right. I'm, let's go open a mall. <laughs> How common are personal guarantees um, for when, the tenant to have for to the sign. tenant to have to sign when when occupying space for the first time or without you know 
certain amount of accreditation or um, you know as a representing a landlord it's it's a it's a default to ask for uh, you know personal guarantees unless you're dealing with an extremely well established uh, tenant who has multiple locations but if you are a first-time tenant uh, signing the personal guarantee is is, is part of the uh, part of the game yeah, you can pretty much guarantee you're going to be asked to do it when when taking up your first. Be guaranteed, space. you're going to be guaranteeing the lease. Yeah. I was curious about that. So if Sprint a, opens a store, they don't have some guy at, in Kansas City putting a personal guarantee. on No, the if if you know, uh, you know, a great example is Starbucks. Nobody personally guarantees a Starbucks lease. <laughs> Starbucks does not need their leases yeah. personally guaranteed, but you know, a small family-owned first-time family-owned coffee shop probably will have a personal guarantee uh, attached to it even though Starbucks right across the street doesn't just because the Starbucks financials are so strong the landlord can can uh, sign the lease confidently that they're going to get paid their rent and especially since there's a Starbucks across the street that probably will put them out of business yes yes (laughs) not to be too dark but have you seen people have to uh, landlords have to go after someone for personally yes yes i have um and you know it's it's a part of the leasing that you know it's the landlord needs to be able to recoup uh some of its costs that it has put into the lease so Mm -hmm. they do go after uh the tenant uh and if the tenant doesn't have the necessary resources uh then they go after uh any guarantors on the lease so typically in residential we see a very drawn out uh, eviction process. You're talking about going after the tenant. That's obviously after they've vacated after the space. After they vacated, yeah. yeah. So, and, and residential eviction is different than commercial. Um, the you know the commercial process is usually a little bit more expedited than is residential. Uh, but that being said, a commercial can can take quite a long time as well. Has your lease been fought against in court? And if so, which I'm assuming it has, then do you end up as an attorney? Do you end up kind of like changing some of the terms of the lease and strengthening it? And like, I, just as an example, I know our residential sale contract started out as one page twenty years, <laughs> thirty years ago, forty years ago. Now it's, it's now ages, ages, right? Yeah. So has yours been fought? And do you have to keep adding to it? You know, it's not even fought. It's just experience. You know, you every time you encounter a, a unique circumstance, you always have to be reevaluating what you're putting into your your leases um, and it could be that your lease is perfectly fine without that provision but you encounter a unique situation so you do choose to add a provision to your lease uh, to help uh, address that issue uh, in the future you know I don't think this exists right now but if a landlord was like I need to hire an attorney to write a lease for me in one one way to measure which attorney they should use would it be to measure whose lease has been like fought the most and won the most or something no i mean what i tell people when they're looking for an attorney is uh, you know most importantly you have to find an attorney that you can talk with and be honest with and share all of the facts it's like going to the doctor if you can't tell the doctor all the embarrassing and scary stuff they're not going to be able to help you an attorney can't help you if you're not going to be able to do that. So first and foremost, finding an attorney you're comfortable to talk with and that 
you, know, you understand and they understand you, and there's a level of relationship there. The second thing is is just experience with what you're doing. Uh, you know, not everybody's going to have experience in the exact line of business you're going into, but an attorney who has experience in doing uh, shopping center leases. There are attorneys who do shopping center leases, um, but there may be a great attorney who only does warehouse leases. A warehouse lease attorney may not have the same understanding of how to do a shopping center lease because some things are, are, are different. But if a, a good real estate attorney with broad experience uh, would be able to you know, help with most, most every lease. So on that, kind of on that thought, is that why going to a firm like yours that has a bunch of different attorneys that specialize in different things sort of valuable because I'm assuming if like if Matt calls you at the warehouse lease and you know Quinn's done 20 of those are you going to go talk to Quinn you know or yeah I mean that there is a great advantage of of having the the firm because you just have that many more years of experience at your disposal Um, and you're right Adam if I encounter a lease that is not something that I typically do I'll go to one of my partners and talk to them and see if they uh, have experience in it and most often or not one of them does have experience mm-hmm. in a unique uh, type of lease or other other arrangement, whatever it might be. Uh, so it is valuable to go to a, 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 an established exper- firm with experienced attorneys with a broad breadth of experience that they can offer to their clients. That's kind of a similar business model to what Herman London's done, to where we have a bunch of different agents from different parts of town who do different types of deals and all that kind of thing. Absolutely. I mean, whether it be, you know, the commercial or the residential or property management, you always see agents coming in with questions on deals and, you know, really tapping that expertise and that knowledge base is essential to succeeding. So I'm I'm hoping you're going to like be able to share some, can you share some interesting stories? We've kind of been hitting you up with our technical questions here. I want to hear some, my aunt was a teacher, Aunt Marzi, I mentioned her, she's <laughs> yeah. listening, I'm sure. But whenever I'd see Aunt Marzi, I'd be like, tell me about the bad kids, Aunt Marzi, you know. Do you have any kind of weird stories where crazy things have happened? Don't oh, have to put the, you on the spot. Yeah, there's always crazy things that, that happen in leases. Um, probably some of the most uh, you know, crazy and bad are tough terms with lawyers because <laughs> right. lawyers find <laughs> the strangest things interesting. Yeah, I think probably one of the ones that was very interesting was we were working on a lease to a property. We didn't end up signing it. Because when we got a little bit deeper into our due diligence, we found out that the land was landlocked and there was no way to access it via car. If we wanted to use it, we would have to take a helicopter to it every time. (laughs) So we kind of told the landlord, you need to get us access or we're not going to do it. Uh And the landlord landlord couldn't get us access. So we ended up not leasing the property. And I don't know whatever happened to that property, but... He didn't even uh, give you like a rowboat or anything? I I wasn't sure what he was going to (laughs) do when I told the lawyer, "Um, I don't think there's road access to this. And the lawyer said, I can't believe that's not true. And sure enough, he came back a few days later and said, you're right. There is no access to this property. I mean, taking me back to my like real estate class days where we talk about things that we'll never use is... Isn't that the kind of thing where you have to, someone has to provide an easement to the, a landlocked property? To your question, Adam, yes, there are legal means to force easements to be, to be granted. You guys didn't want to wait around for that. We didn't want to wait around for that. And, you know, when you looked at the property, it looked like it had road access. But 
it, were you, it didn't. Were you kind of turned off a little bit that it was misrepresented that way? Yeah, I mean that that's you know that was it was disappointing that we went down the path so far, uh, and the client had spent money on working on a lease to come to find out that you couldn't you couldn't access couldn't the property. Access yeah. So most of the time, I would think of try to think of situations where it's. You know, generally you would think it's more of a landlord would be neglecting somebody if they're like, my furnace is broken, my roof is leaking or whatever, and the landlord's neglecting. Are there cases where the landlord's like kind of too involved and they're coming around too much and they're trying to tell people how to run their businesses and stuff? I mean, yeah, I mean, you've got landlords who are, you know, very interested in their tenants' business. You know, those are sometimes percentage rent landlords who are getting a percentage of the sales. But um, other landlords just do come around and, and poke around too much. So that's it's important for both landlord and tenant in their lease to have some sort of negotiated access rights. Okay. Uh, especially for a, a, a tenant or a business that is not open to the public. You know, if you're renting a, a restaurant, the landlord can walk in there and eat lunch whenever they want uh, and look around and see how things are going. Uh, but if you are a, a business that is not open to the public generally, like financial services, financial services, mm-hmm. you know, you may not want the landlord poking around as often. So you want to negotiate uh, in your lease access rights because it is fair for the landlord to be able to come in and take a look around every once in a while, but they shouldn't disrupt your business. That's another, I mean, I'm just like, oh, another reason to need representation because you would never think. That my landlord's going to be coming in here all the time, you know, and but you're like, oh, well, I've seen it. So we put this paragraph in there. Yep. Usually what it is is 24 hours notice. Yeah. We'll arrange an appointment. You can come by. It gives us opportunity to put anything away that's confidential um, or, you know, just like when your parents would come visit you in college, it gives you an opportunity Tidy to up. clean up your yeah. apartment. <laughs> um, when you're selling, say, an investment property and you have tenants in place and you're taking in rent and you don't want to release the financials. A lot of the owners are asking for confidentiality agreements. Mm-hmm. What kind of protection is that affording the owner in you know, having an executed confidentiality agreement? Well, in the case of selling a shopping center, it's a great example you know, where you've got multiple tenants. You know, there's, there's two levels of confidentiality. One is between the tenant and the landlord. You know, so tenants uh, want to make sure that if they're giving financial information to their landlords, that the landlords are keeping it confidential. Um, and then between the landlord and a potential buyer, that there is a confidentiality in place that if confidential information about a specific tenant or just general financial information about the shopping center is given, it's not going to be advertised uh, to other people, other competitors in the area. So it is good to have a confidentiality agreement signed. You know, the, the, the two or three important components of that are one, just what is the information that's going to be kept confidential? Usually that's just everything that's given. Um, sometimes it can be a little bit more specific, but that's usually the general definition of anything that's given by the seller to the potential buyer. Um, another thing is how long do you have to keep it confidential or how long is the agreement going to be in place? Uh, and usually some people want those indefinitely. Some people say after five years, I don't, my financial information is so out of date. It doesn't matter. Um, but the third thing, and this is the one thing that I always try to make sure is in there is that if I'm giving the information, I can always, and the deal falls apart, I can ask for it back or I can ask you to sign a letter saying you've destroyed it all. 
so that I can then rest easy that I'm not going to have my information shared uh, around with other people. You know, that's an outstanding point, uh, and I probably executed two dozen confidentiality agreements to get financials on properties, and not once have I been asked for that information back. And obviously I've shredded it or, you know, make sure it's not gotten in anybody else's hands, but that's a very valid point that I think a lot of property owners don't understand. Um, so that's pretty impressive. The, the follow-up I had for that is in the instance of a, a breach of that confidentiality, what recourse do you have as a property owner or as a tenant in that instance where your information gets out? Well, typically the, the first wave of a breach of a confidentiality agreement is some sort of restraining order type action where you are getting a court to step in and tell this, uh, this person who's misbehaving to stop. Um, and then the next step is getting them to find out where it's all gone, tracking it all down, or getting similar types of orders against anybody who's received it saying, you did not receive this with good permission, you need to not use it. These are, those are very difficult cases because why should, a, why should Adam be at fault if you yeah, disclose the information. Disclose the information. Yeah, so it's, it's a difficult thing to do. Uh, and some of it is, you know, there's a little bit of trust involved. Yeah. Uh, because the cost and the effort to enforce them will be difficult, which is, again, why I like to be able to ask for the information back if, if the deal starts going away or, or whatever. I would think it would be hard to measure the damage, right? Because if, if, I mean, we're just imagining situations now, but if, if I've given you information and you use it to... Yeah, your competitors know what you're paying in rent every month. You know, it's right. like, how, how do we measure that? But I've been damaged, but I don't know how much, and I don't know what deals I'm losing out on now or whatever. Sure, how it's going to affect your business in the short or long term. Interesting. I think the other thing of, of importance that some people will, their eyes will glaze over when they're reading is the insurance section. Uh, and what insurance the tenant is going to carry and what insurance the landlord is going to carry. When it comes to insurance, I, I always recommend that a tenant have their insu the insurance requirements reviewed by their insurance agent. One, to make sure they can get the insurance. Mm -hmm. And two, to make sure they can get it at a reasonable cost. Yeah. Uh, some landlords are, are trying to require, and some landlords have very good reasons to require it, very high levels of insurance uh, and a tenant again going back to this how much is it going to cost me to occupy this space needs to be able to understand what their insurance costs are going to be and what their obligations are so i think that's an that's another provision that is often quickly read over uh, and not thought carefully about uh, i think the the last one i think it's it's also really important especially in shopping center leases is is an exclusive rights provision you don't want to be you don't want to invest your life savings into opening a really good sandwich shop only to then three months later have jimmy john's open next door uh, you don't want that so when you are leasing in a shopping center to be able to protect your investment getting the right to be the only sandwich shop or whatever your business is to be the only one in that shopping center yeah. uh, is important uh, we're seeing that a lot with the with the fitness centers that are popping up all over the place they want to be the only the fitness exclusive center rights absolutely uh, in the in the shopping center and that the the landlord that only like applies to the uh limit of power or whatever that the landlord has right i mean if 
if I my landlord owns this building and a different landlord owns next door, obviously my landlord can't promise me that no realtor office will open next That's door. That's exactly right. right. It's mm-hmm. only what your landlord owns. But sometimes your landlord landlord owns more than what you think they do. Yeah. So yeah. sometimes it's I know the my truth. landlord does. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's making sure that to the extent you can, getting the landlord to agree that all of its properties within a certain radius of your uh, location are going to be protected by the exclusive use. Some okay. Excellent cool. points there. Yeah. Any final questions for him? Mr. Hickle, do you want to read your, do you have like a, you know, our lender has like this NMLS number he has to read. Do you have something like that? You need no, to tell again, us? I just need to say, I'm, you know, whoever's listening to this, I'm not your lawyer. I'm just here talking uh, about commercial leases. And if you have a specific question, you should talk to uh, your lawyer or a lawyer of your choosing. Uh, and every situation is unique. So it's important to have a lawyer. Do you mind if we give the phone number for your office? Certainly. You know, if you want to call me and talk with me, you can reach out to me. Uh, it's Doug Hickel. I'm at Summers, Compton, and Wells. And my phone number, 314-991-4999. Unfortunately, I have that number memorized. <laughs> That's a good thing. <laughs> okay, good. Well, I have five questions I like to ask every guest. Okay. And this is not about commercial leases. Thankfully, I don't ask everybody about that. But just a little bit of kind of getting to know you stuff. Sure. The listeners want to know more. Listeners want to know. Gotta so, Doug, what they want. Some, some personal questions, I guess. Sure. And, you know, I'm sure you know how to plead the fifth or whatever if you don't want to answer. But so, so Doug, who lives under your roof? Uh, I, I am married. I have a lovely wife and I have three children. Oh my gosh. Three children. I have a nine year old and I have twin five year olds. Oh, my condolences. How did you have time to be here today? You know, I love them all. I love them all. Uh, and then I have a dog. Okay, good. Uh, so where are you your best? Where am I at my best? Um, Probably when you're at home and one of them's on your shoulders. And yeah, I mean, the best parts of my day are the days when I walk in the, the house and all the kids come running at me and the dog comes running at me. Uh, you know, that's my best part of my days. You know, best at doing my work is sitting in my office, you know, at my table and chairs. That's where I do my best work. But the best place I like to be is with my family. Okay, good. Uh, do you have a favorite blog that you read or podcast that you listen to? Or if not, maybe a book that you've read? Um, you know, I, I, for, for just for general reading, um, I, I typically defer to just the apps on my phone. I read a lot of the BBC news and the CNN news. Um, as for, uh, online, uh, same type of thing. It's usually just the major news services. So you're not really reading like attorney today. You're reading just kind of like general news. Yeah. But when it does come to reading legal publications, it's usually still, good old print material that I read. Um, You know, I get some publications from the Missouri Bar. Um, I get some publications from the Illinois Bar, where I'm licensed in both Missouri and Illinois. And I'm also licensed in the state of Colorado. So I enjoy reading the the most recent recent legal rules on operating ski resorts. And those are always fun to read. Uh, (laughs) Not too practical here in St. Louis, but still fun. Okay. What is your guilty pleasure? My guilty pleasure, it is probably reading for pleasure. I read a lot for pleasure okay. uh, and probably uh, probably sometimes more than I should. Did you read the Game of Thrones books? I have read every it's Game of Thrones It's a story of fire and ice. Oh, just my so gosh. You know. Song. Song of fire, of fire and ice. ice. Oh, see? I yes. mean, yeah. 
Well, we don't have time to talk about that, but I could I can add another couple hours. We could do a two hour podcast. Yes, yeah, so you alone. could read a lot of that. You know. Okay, Doug. Who is your mentor, and how have you thanked them? I would probably say my greatest mentor has been my father. Uh, you know, one just teaching me how to be a, a good guy, uh, but then also helping me be a lawyer. Uh, he having been a lawyer for many many years, he's got a lot of great wisdom and a lot of great. Uh, ideas to share with me as I'm, you know, being a lawyer as well. Uh, and even though I've been doing it for almost 15 years, I still call him sometimes for his, his thoughts on stuff. And so how have you thanked him? Does he know that you're his mentor? I think he does. Or he's know. your mentor? You know, I've, I thank him all the time for the thoughts and the advice and, and just being a good dad. So the most recent time was probably on Father's Day. Perfect. Yeah, I was going to say, what Which a fantastic follow-up. Absolutely. Father's Day. Well, Doug, thank you very much for being here. Mr. Simon, thank you also very it's much my for pleasure. being here. And if you do have commercial real estate needs, of course, please call our agent sitting right here, Matthew Simon. And, Matt, what's your phone number? It's 314-922-3523. 3523. Okay, I almost had that one memorized, too. And uh, we're going to wrap up the podcast. So if you have any questions, you can email them to podcast at hermanlondon.com. And check out our website. We've always got new information going on. Joey, our producer here, has been working on some crazy drone videos. So if you want to see those, go to our company Facebook page or HermanLondon.com as well. And thanks very much for listening, and take care.